this morning is from words uh, by Albert Einstein. A human being is part of the whole called by us universe, a part limited in time and space. One experiences oneself, our own thoughts and feelings, as something separated from the rest, a kind of optical illusion of our consciousness. This delusion is a kind of prison for us, restricting us to our personal desires and to affection for a few persons nearest to us. Our task must be to free ourselves from this prison by widening our circle, widening our circle of compassion to embrace all living creatures and the whole of nature in its beauty. Hospitality. Hospitality is the assigned subject in this summer series about spiritual practices. And I got it. (laughs) What does that word mean to you when you hear it? Hospitality. I know, coming and opening the church is number one. (laughs) Coffee. I hope you did not come here looking for a review of the service auction dinners, complete with star ratings. This one gets four stars and this one gets three because you're not going to get that. But that's what I immediately think of for hospitality. Parties and dinners and out-of-town visitors. A good time with family and friends, offering food and drink generously. And you, you, get, you invite people that you've gotten to know and you like and you're comfortable with. People just like you. You all dress alike. You all talk alike. You have the same interests and beliefs. Hospitable people caring for those they invite into their lives. Hospitality like Nesrudin received when he came back to the party, all cleaned up and dressed in his good clothes, just like everyone else. That kind of hospitality, what you might call social hospitality, is not at all how the concept of hospitality evolved over the centuries. And definitely not the kind of hospitality I want to talk about today. Hospitality actually began as a religious tenet, the host welcoming the guest, and the guest who is a stranger, not a close friend. Welcoming the stranger at the door in an honorable and generous manner was and still is preached by many of the world religions. The Hebrew prophet Elijah went about disguised as a beggar to test how people would treat him. Would they be hospitable or hostile? One time there was a young rabbi who was waiting for a very important meeting with the great prophet. When a beggar comes to the door, the rabbi turns him away. Later he finds out that the beggar was Elijah in disguise. The moral, of course, is to greet all strangers as if you were meeting Elijah, because the stranger could well be the one you are waiting for. Ancient Greece was known for practicing xenia, or guest friendship, the exercise of generosity towards strangers, which derived from the belief that gods visited humans. A popular Greek fable told the story of Bossus and Philemon, an old couple who lived in a simple cottage. Zeus and Hermes came to the town disguised as ordinary peasants. They went from door to door, asking for a place to sleep that night. 
But these ratty-looking peasants were turned away by all the rich families in the town. They finally came to Bossus and Philemon's little cottage. Even though the couple was poor, they invited the strangers in and served them food and wine. After a while, Bossus noticed that although she had refilled her guests' cups many times, the pitcher was still full. That's when she realized her guests were, in fact, gods. Zeus announced it was time for them to leave, saying he was going to destroy the town and all the people who had turned him away and not provided hospitality. He had Bossus and Philemon leave with him. When they got to the top of the mountain, they saw that the town had been destroyed by a flood. But Zeus had turned their cottage into an ornate temple. The Buddhist tradition teaches that the very distinction between one group and another, between insider and outsider, between citizen and alien, between the host and the guest, is a dangerous perception and will only bring suffering. The Arabic word for hospitality means neighborliness. An Islamic command says this means that you must provide refuge for three days to any wayfaring stranger that comes to your door. Because in the desert, turning away strangers might mean death for them. The ethic of hospitality runs through the teachings of Jesus. Even his birth story is a story of hospitality. Jesus welcomed everyone, the tax collector, the leper, the adulterer, children, and even a rich man. And his followers were taught to do likewise. Years later, Christian teachings linked hospitality to salvation. It became one of the requirements for getting into heaven. In the 5th century, St. Benedict founded communities in the form of monasteries that became centers of learning. They were also places that welcomed travelers who were seeking shelter from the weather or protection from highway bandits. Eventually, a tradition was established that required monks to extend hospitality to those who appeared at their doors. From this beginning, monasteries cultivated the practice of caring for the stranger and the poor and the needy. And it led to establishing what became known as hospitals. Notice, the spiritual practice of hospitality developed out of fear. If you refused hospitality to the stranger, you took the risk of eternal punishment, retribution of some kind by the gods, personal suffering for at least a lifetime, and even loss of everlasting life. Not fear of the stranger, fear of your own punishment. In contemporary societies, we don't have to worry about that. We don't have either a social or religious requirement to welcome the stranger. We are free to choose who we extend our welcome to. But as Einstein said, even if we choose to separate ourselves from the rest of the universe, this is a delusion. The reality is we are always in a relationship with the rest of the universe. Those parts we directly experience and those parts we do not. 
One of the Google doodles last week, that thing they have on the search page where Google, the words of Google get decorated in some way, one of them celebrated the 180th anniversary of John Venn. You know, the Venn diagrams, the overlapping circles, logic theories, like seven degrees of separation things. I don't know if anybody saw it, but it was pretty neat. Well, it seems to me that based on the statement that we are always in a relationship with the stranger, that each of us is really a part of a Venn diagram. The first enormous circle is the universe. And here we are in that circle, us right here today. We're probably a little too big there, but I wanted at least to see a mark. There we are. A few people in that circle are like us, but most of them are different from us. They have different languages and different cultures and different foods and different religions and different music and different, different, different. Now, picture a smaller circle within the large circle. And there we are again. We're in that circle, and that small circle are all the people you could possibly actually encounter in your life. Possibly. So it includes all the people probably in the United States, especially if you like to take road trips and you're driving all over the place all the time. So you'll get to see a lot of them. For me, I left Siberia and Greenland out. I do not like the cold. Don't think I'll be meeting with them. Now let's add another circle. This smaller circle is the set of people you have actually encountered in your life. And there's a lot of them, really. There's the people at the gas pumps and the school secretary and the person next to you at the baseball game and your neighbor and whoever you went to school with. All those kinds of people you're on an airplane with. You have encountered some people. They're in the yellow circle. It's getting smaller. And now there's another circle of those people that you've encountered, the people that you have offered hospitality to or have offered it to you. And it's very small. And that's what your Venn diagram looks like. Everyone else outside of the pink circle are all the other people that you have not offered hospitality to or been involved with. But there's all those people out there. There's all the rest of that universe out there. Spiritual hospitality, on the other hand, encompasses all of those circles, everything there, if we are to believe we are always in a relationship with the stranger, whether we meet them face to face or not. It extends to those we love and those who are our friends and all those we've met and all those we've never met. How can we possibly offer all of them hospitality? I see an awful lot of dinner parties in your future. <laughs> well, as I thought about that question, I began to think that maybe there are two levels of hospitality. There's micro-hospitality and there's macro-hospitality. Micro-hospitality is that hospitality you offer to those that you actually do encounter. 
in some way, which would be the example Anne talked about. That woman that sits at the desk at the government building who says, no, turn around. They met each other. Hospitality was not offered. Macro hospitality is generosity or caring for the stranger you may never meet face to face. For example, take the children on the government buses in the southwest, driving all around different places, looking for a place to stay. You may choose to invite them into your town, or you can choose to force the buses away as you shout, deport, deport. Even those people stopping the buses in Marietta, California, would probably never actually meet the children as they were going to be housed in government buildings, probably behind a fence. What made them choose to not share their air and water for a brief time? Well, we, in probably one of the safest countries in the world, have an escalating fear of the stranger. Whether it's the stranger who dresses differently, wears a headscarf, worships differently, is a pagan off in the woods, or looks differently, they're not white. Our leaders have encouraged this fear to enhance their own power and authority. Our media has sensationalized this fear for material gain. Fear of the unknown ones. Fear of the different ones among us. It's rampant. A modern-day Benedictine monk, Daniel Holman, writes, when we speak of hospitality, we are always addressing issues of inclusion and exclusion. Each of us makes choices about who will and who will not be included in our lives. True religious hospitality reaches out to those we do not know. Our own UU president, Peter Morales, agrees. He says, the real challenge for us, the spiritual heavy lifting, comes when we choose to encounter people who are different from ourselves. And it begins right where we are in the smaller circles we are part of right in the pink circle where UUCL is. So let's look at this community as an easy starting point. We have chosen to be part of this community. We have greeters at the door to make sure both members and guests feel welcome. We have a time during the service where we share our joys and concerns. We have a social hour after the service where we meet and greet each other and share food and coffee. We became a welcoming congregation to make sure an entire population was not excluded. But spiritual hospitality is something more than just turning in the pews and greeting each other each Sunday morning. It is more than just opening the doors to all who find their way out this road. Spiritual hospitality has been defined as a relationship between the host and the guest. A dance. It is not a one-way interaction. Both guest and host are equal partners. It is a reciprocal relationship, giving and receiving, knowing and being known, trusting and being trusted. St. Benedict taught that hospitality is not about social graces, but about mutual reverence for each other. 
From this mutual reverence, we are able to create a community of harmony, justice, and safety. In a book which is popular in religious circles right now called Hospitality, the Sacred Art, Presbyterian minister Nanette Sawyer writes, Becoming a person of hospitality will both center you and open you up. It will help you know yourself better. It is a transformative process for us where we learn to meet each other in the vulnerable space between us where the I begins and where the I begins to dissolve and the we begins to take shape. She believes that the radical hospitality comes from an attitude of receptivity, reverence, and generosity. Becoming receptive is preparing ourselves to be able to invite others into our lives, our hearts, and sometimes our homes. It is the development of the inner state. And this may be the most difficult part of the relationship. Reverence is the state of being with others, honoring them, welcoming them, listening to them. Generosity is the completion of the cycle of hospitality, is made up of our actions towards those whom we are welcoming, an outflow of physical, spiritual, and emotional care and nurture. Receptivity, reverence, generosity. This is the essence of spiritual hospitality. We all walked in here as strangers. And although this may look like a very homogeneous group as you look a lot round, it is not. We have many differences. Are we able to look beyond these surface differences to offer this transformative hospitality to each other? If not, what fear holds you back? Are you threatened by the thought of letting your guard down and allowing others to see your vulnerabilities? Are you afraid that by allowing yourself to honor another's differences in behavior or belief might require you to change in some way? Do you believe that granting equal validity to another's opinions makes yours less valid? Are you concerned that you will lose your voice by being the host and just listening to others instead of being the speaker? Are you afraid that your self-worth will be diminished when you compromise or surrender a cherished position to another? Undertaking the spiritual practice of offering hospitality requires you to ask yourself this question, these questions. But the reward for you and for all those you interact with could be immeasurable. The practice of deep hospitality can help us step into a more vital, vibrant embrace of this great adventure we call life. It can liberate us from the prison of the small circle we have drawn around ourselves so that we are open to all the possibilities the world offers. It can bring us a deeper understanding of ourselves and change our attitude toward other people so that we see them in the light of our first principle remembering our shared humanity, and inspiring us to be generous in our actions towards others, both friend and enemy. 
And then we'll be able to take the spiritual practice of hospitality beyond the safety of our religious community to those strangers in places like Marietta, California, or Leesburg, Virginia, in need of our caring welcome. We are all drops of water from the same eternal, infinite ocean. When we recognize that all forms of creation are just different configurations of stardust, the same energy and matter in different forms, it may give us a more encompassing perspective on the surface differences among us. Nasruddin's coat or Nasruddin's heart? Which do you want to ask to your party? Blessed be.